0: You are not a good person. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. So, we are entering into a Titanic book.
1: Yeah. Yes, we are. Not necessarily the in
0: length, but in depth.
1: Mm, Yep, and we're going to cover it in four half-hour segments, so should be really, yeah, really not that uh, thorough. But again, (laughs) we are, just to remind you, we're trying to deal with, give you guys a framework for understanding the books, right? Mm. So we can't deal with every issue. We obviously went through the end of Acts pretty quickly, but we want to give you some, yeah, some structure to understand what you're reading, you know, the context of it, and then you can dig into it in a deeper way. Awesome. Yep. Maybe someday we can go through every single passage in Scripture. One day we'll be two hundred years old and uh, well, you, full of God's wisdom.
0: Yeah, if you want to hear details, like, listen to a sermon. That's yeah, why we preach exegetically. So very no. true. Um,
1: but today, yeah, we're dealing with the the greatest book of theology ever written in history. What and, a statement! And I think one of the greatest conversion tools ever. It's the Book of Romans has led to the conversions of such great men as Augustine. Mm. Mm. If you've heard of him, Martin Luther. Never heard of him, and Keith White.
0: Um, yes, possibly. I think actually our intern, Mikey Johnson, was probably saved with this. Program. Oh, okay. That's actually well, even possible. greater. <laughs> yeah. <it is. laughs> yes. Yeah, I, so I, really I was just going greater. on a limb there and <laughs> just guessing,
1: but uh, but no. This this has been such an influence, and it was really I think for Martin Luther, it was less than just bringing him to faith, and more a spark for the Reformation. Mm. You know, um, why did Luther confront the bad theology of the? The Pope and the, those who followed him, well, it's because he read the Bible. And yeah. It didn't. It didn't jive. Right. Is that yeah. is that a hip thing to say? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So we're entering into the epistles of the New Testament. What, okay.
0: What in the world is an epistle?
1: Yeah. An epistle is a letter. I don't know why they don't just call them letters, but they call them epistles. So. It kind of sounds like apostle, I think. Or it's just epistle. I don't know. A pistol, right. yeah. yeah. No, an epistle, yeah, is a letter, and it's always written, you know, any letter is written to a specific audience. Mm-hmm. So we've gone through the Gospels, we've seen the historical book, Acts, that sort of lays out the early church's history, and it's so important to understand how these epistles fit in. Mm-hmm. But an epistle is just a letter written either to an individual or to a group of people, so There's the letters written to churches, such as Romans written to the Roman Church, or Corinthians written to the Church in Corinth. Um, Then you also have letters written to individuals, Titus, Titus, Timothy, Timothy, Philemon, Mm -hmm. you know those kinds of ones. And then we have ones that we don't know, like First John or you know the the Johns. There's debate over like is that a individual or a church. Mm -hmm. So we'll get there when we get there. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so an epistle, it, it, these tend to be really dense, where I take a lot of theology. Mm-hmm. And there's there's uh, very often theology kind of on the front end, more of the theological focus, and then more of a practical, applicational focus or a sanctification focus toward the end. So that's a pretty common structure for for Paul, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to try to give you some basics to these epistles so that you can approach them and really dig in, memorize parts of them. I hope you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, and get this into your heart and understand what God's saying. Yeah. So so yeah. So uh, let's let's go into Romans. Awesome. Well, who wrote this book? Well, we have in verse one. It says, "Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus." So Paul is the author. It was probably penned by uh, his his pal. Mm. I, believe, I believe it's Tertius, but there's pretty much no doubt, like no argument, that Paul wrote this, mm. which is extremely rare. So we should just revel in this and bask in it. Yeah. And there's that scholars wouldn't fight over something. Yeah, it's crazy. They fight over everything. Yeah. So there's there's lots of debate, you know, I think there's mostly silly about other books, but this one, this people agree this is sort of his magnum opus.
0: Mm, that's cool. That's it's yeah, it's encouraging. Definitely people don't question the authorship of Romans, but they do question whether Paul should be listened to or not. So
1: For sure. Yeah. 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 Anyway. yeah. <laughs> we yeah, we don't we don't, try, we don't doubt that Paul wrote that. We just think he's wrong. We just think we're better than Paul. Yeah. Like, uh, very simple, very simple. Um, so yeah, so Paul wrote this, and he wrote it to you guessed it, the church in Rome. Wow, hence crazy. the name. Yeah. And this was almost certainly a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, mm. but but it seems to be written predominantly to Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be the main focus in right. the book. Um, this is sort of interesting for Paul because there's no other time when he writes a book to a church that he didn't found. There, I mean, there's some there's some evidence in church history that he was involved in the planting of the church in Rome. But it doesn't seem to be true, especially from how this book is written. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it this was probably written before Paul ever went to Rome. He he sort of talks to them as if they're strangers that he wants to go see them. So it it's not the same as like a book like uh, Ephesians where he's you yeah. know or or uh, uh, you know Timothy or Titus where he has this like personal connection. He's bringing up or Corinth is a is a great example, right? Yeah. Corinthians. He's talking to specific issues and even certain people in that church. It's, it's clear in 1 Corinthians.
0: He knows the church. Yeah. He's, he's lived with the people. He's taught them. He's spent time with them. And now he's reminding them, you know, so there's yeah. clear relationships. Yeah, yeah, he started yeah. the
1: church and he's, he's nursed them through infancy and, and he's dealing with issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, that'll be fun to get to First Corinthians as well. But it, so this book is written to the Romans and it was written um, probably in the late 50s mm. AD. We, we, obviously we can't be sure of these things, but in chapter 15, he's going to speak to his desire to come to Rome. So he talks about how he's going to head to Jerusalem with some money that's he's raised from other churches to bring to the church in Jerusalem. And he asks for, for their oh, excuse me, yes, for their prayers, and then he says he wants to head to Rome, mm. and then from Rome go to Spain. Mm. So it's going to be like an outpost for him for a mission in Spain. That's his desire. Yeah, and so um, based upon that, it seems like this was you know it, 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 in that time range, at the end of the fifties. So it's before he's actually going out there, um, but yeah, awesome. kind of later than a lot of his works. Kind of awesome. kind of in the middle, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's his primary like? I don't know, like theological reasons for writing it.
1: Yeah, he wrote it to explain the gospel. That seems to be the most, the the simplest way to put it. People have tried to say maybe it's about justification by faith. It certainly focuses a lot on that. Justification, yeah. But it seems to be more, like Galatians seems to be more explicitly and narrowly focused on justification by faith, Mm -hmm. whereas this seems to be focused on the entirety of the gospel. Hmm. And there's hints at that. We'll see it in the intro, right? I mean, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Yeah. And then the theme verse is in chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel right So we'll get into that later but so he, he seems to be laying out the basics of the gospel. He doesn't touch on you know someone say some say it's in a totality of his theology. There are certain topics that he doesn't touch on so it's, it's hard to argue that but it does seem to be comprehensive in terms of what the scope of the gospel is. Yeah. Um, so this is this is pretty amazing that he gives that this, this somewhat full exposition of his theology. And um, and it it makes sense in light of when he wrote it, that he's been dealing with some debates about Gentile inclusion yeah. in the church. How does the gospel work? How does the law the fit law, with the yeah. gospel? All that yeah. is a big focus in, in the book of, of Romans. That's awesome.
0: Um, how's that book structured?
1: Well, I, I couldn't do better than um, D.A. Carson and Douglas Moo in their – Introduction to the New Testament. So I'm I'm just going to take exactly what they have. Can I you, it was can you so can was Do better than D. A. Carson. I mean, almost always. Okay. Yeah, almost sure. always. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, sometimes it's just like they have these like really weird b- breaks, and I'm like, Barrett. this isn't helpful for anyone. Yeah, they're it's too smart confusing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is so chapters one through four, the gospel as the righteousness of God by faith. So there's going to be a big focus in the first four chapters on mm-hmm. the sinfulness of man and this need for oh, yeah. righteousness. So we'll kind of focus on that today. What is what is the righteousness of God? Big mm-hmm. term. Yeah, A lot of debate about that, but we're going to just give one definition. Cool. Um, part two would be verses, or chapters five to eight, the gospel as the power of God mm-hmm. for salvation. Yep. So we see the justification by faith sort of at the end of that first section and then fleshed out more in, in five through eight as we see this focus also on sanctification and how okay. God's gospel has power. Hmm. The gospel in Israel is the focus in chapters 9 to 11. Yep. So that's everyone kind of agrees on that. Paul is zeroing in on, well, what's the deal with Israel? Did God not fulfill his promises to Israel? Right. And we'll look a little at the doctrine of election as well. And then the last section, chapters 12, um, to the end, the gospel and the transformation of life. Cool. So, yeah, it's, it. and, then, and so we get practical at the end, as Paul often does. He's going to take it and deal with some very practical issues of sanctification, of obedience to the authorities, um, the weaker brother issue, all these important things.
0: Yeah, awesome. Sweet. All right,
1: so let's get into the first section. The first section shows us that God reveals his righteousness and that man can only be righteous by faith. Mm. So God reveals his righteousness and our sinfulness, and then we have to believe and be saved by faith um, and he's going to so focus a lot on how everyone is under sin and and found guilty before god yeah so that's that's a big focus so let's let's jump in we see the theme of election in the very first verse obviously we see the gospel in verse one but we also see paul a servant of christ jesus called to be an apostle so this idea of election and calling is a big one um he includes them in that verse yeah. six you who are called to belong to jesus christ in verse seven Right um, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he's saying, "I'm called, and you're also called." Right? We're yep. chosen by God for a specific purpose, mm-hmm. and he's he's uplifting the gospel in this in this first section. I mean, we could spend so much time on this first section. I mean, it's I'm already
0: feeling the weight of Romans and yeah. the inability to communicate. It oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: we see his his focus on the gospel being in the Old Testament in verse two, right? Mm-hmm. That that the gospel was it's promised, promised beforehand. Through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So again, he's connecting the Old Testament. He's talking about the Davidic covenant, mm-hmm. right in verse three. He's he's bringing all these ideas in in the in just the intro, yeah. and and the obedience of faith in verse five. So that's an important phrase that we're going to see kind of fleshed out later, which is that faith is what leads us to sanctification and obedience yeah. toward God. So and then he also <laughs> expresses in verse ten that he wants to go to Rome. Mm-hmm. So he he makes this really clear. And in verse 13, he, he reiterates that, right? He wants to come to them to reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Mm. So he's setting up in the beginning here what this letter will be about. It's going to be about the gospel, and he wants the gospel to go out to the Gentiles. It's very much in line with the book of Acts, mm. unsurprisingly. Very cool. Then we have the key verse, and we got to camp here just for a little bit, a little bit. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek mm. so he's he's saying i'm not ashamed to give this good news this gospel message because in that word in that news is the power of god crazy and this will be a big theme is that and and we saw this all through acts right the word going out is what has the power mm-hmm. if, if you miss that from our videos i'm I'm, you're gonna make me cry. Don't don't tell me <laughs> that. That was such a big focus, right? The word of God is being victorious. Yeah. What's the power to save people? It's yeah. it's the gospel, and it's available for everyone who believes. Yeah. So you you have this focus on faith as well, which will be a big theme. That the gospel is to be believed in, which means submitting to its truth right saying essentially I can't do anything I'm trusting fully in God's ability to save me yeah. and putting everything on that
0: what does it what does it mean to be ashamed, unashamed or I mean what does it mean to be ashamed of the gospel He says I'm not ashamed what does it mean to I, I mean ashamed? I think
1: it mean to, to be afraid to, to share it to to not believe in its power right to to be afraid of how people are going to respond to it that kind of a thing yeah so so he's saying I yeah I don't have any shame toward the gospel. And it's power for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Jew in terms of uh, temporality, right? Not that Jews are more important than Greeks, but in terms of how the gospel has gone out, it was shared first to the Jews. Yeah, they're
0: original people, part of the promise. And uh, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And he says in verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the, just, the righteous shall live by faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, so righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, mm. Righteousness is the word justice, so there's going to be a lot of talk of justification, justifying. Mm-hmm. That that is literally the same word as righteousness. Mm. So it's weird because in most languages they're the same word. In Greek, it's the same word, right? So it's like righteous, and then you're righteousified, and mm. there's a righteousification. So for us, we don't have that. Right. So it it really is confusing for us because we think of them as two different things. So righteousness speaks first to God and his actions, that he always acts in accordance with his nature, that he's holy, right? What he does is always right. It's always just. Mm-hmm. And it also speaks to his faithfulness to do what he has promised. Mm. God is faithful. But what, how it's going to be applied is in our own lives, right? How do we receive the righteousness of God? How do we become justified? How are we made righteous? How is that revealed in us? And so he says here it's from faith for faith or from faith to faith mm-hmm. so the idea is from end to end in its totality that righteousness is activated and received by faith mm-hmm. this will be a big theme in chapters three and four and and in five as well but so this is from beginning to end it's all about faith mm-hmm. and then he ends with that quote famous quote from habakkuk the righteous shall live by faith mm-hmm. or the one who by faith is righteous mm-hmm. shall live is another way of phrasing it, and so he's summing up that by by quoting Habakkuk, which he'll also later quote Genesis fifteen six, mm. the promise to Abraham, a- Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He'll use these heavily to speak to the fact that righteousness, that right status before God, holiness, is received from God as a gift, right? Yeah, only by faith. It can't be earned. It can't be exactly. achieved. Yeah. So, so this is yeah. So a lot of things are here that we could, again. This is like, if you were doing verses sixteen and seventeen, it'd be like a four part series sermon series. Like, there's that much there.
0: I mean, even your definition of faith begs more questions and answers. But, yeah, you know, the important thing is to believe in God. We need God to act in our lives so that we can have faith and then be sanctified. No? Yeah, and we'll no.
1: we will see more about faith as we go through the the, oh, yeah. the book. So that's like sort of a theme verse for the entire book. But then chapters one and two. This is like a second three, uh, yeah. Really focus on how terrible of a person you are. Yeah, as as Keith said, you're not a good person. Sorry if that's a revelation. I mean, but, dude,
0: that has to be a revelation to the world today. Yeah, I mean, to, <laughs> to most
1: people, at least at one point in your life, that is absolutely a revelation. Yeah, and that's why we need revelation, right? God <laughs> revealing it in His Word to to confront us on our sin. But look at verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So the contrast. Right? Yeah, yeah. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So men are not righteous. God mm-hmm. is. And this is a infinite gulf that needs to be fixed. Yeah. And we do that. We are unrighteous because we suppress the truth. Yeah. Everyone well, knows
0: about God. Even yes. If you, even if you're an atheist, you know, they were declared atheist. In your heart you know God exists, you know? Exactly. So, according to this. Yeah, yeah and so he yeah.
1: goes into that, right? That, that what can be known about God is evident, mm-hmm. right? So nature reveals certain things about God, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. It reveals, yeah. namely, verse 20, uh, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that were made. So God is revealing himself clearly. He doesn't reveal everything about himself in nature. No, that would be to put nature on par with scripture. Right. But it's clear that certain uh, certain attributes of God are clear in nature. Mm -hmm. So he points out too that He's eternal and that He's divine. Right. And that I mean makes sense for us. There has to be someone above nature, beyond nature, someone divine, right, and someone who is timeless, Mm -hmm. right. That our world is bound by time and affected by time, and so someone has to be outside of it. Something has to be outside of it. That is eternal. These are things that, you know, apologists have argued in really in all uh, different religions. About mm-hmm. that, there has to be some sort of God out there. Yeah. So these are, these things should be obvious, and yet what we do is we suppress the truth,
0: and then therefore we're at a, without excuse, right? Yeah. So,
1: so I, I guarantee you, there's someone who's going to hear this who truly does not believe in God. Mm-hmm. Who's like, no, I sincerely 100% percent don't believe in God. No, I believe that, but that's because you've suppressed the truth. Right. So again, I'm I'm not. This is not me saying this. I'm just trying to say what the Bible says. Right. That you have over time suppressed the truth and have blinded yourself right. to who God is. We that's not a surprise. We see that all throughout scripture. People seeing a miracle by Jesus and saying, uh, the devil did that. Right. Like what? That's crazy.
0: I mean, the whole point of the whole point of this of Paul, I think, is not to just, you know, bash humanity and say you guys suck, which is part of it, but it's to show us our need for Jesus. <laughs> the whole yeah. point, the whole point is to show us our inadequacy to save ourselves. our inadequacy to to give ourselves faith, right?
1: Yeah, cuz he's so, going to he's going to say a lot of hard things here about, right? Idolatry that we reject God's truth and we enter into idolatry. Yeah. That God's giving us over to worse and worse sins. He's going he talks about in this chapter homosexuality very clearly. Yeah. And condemns it and says this is a sign of degradation and moving away from God's purpose. These are hard things to hear, but you have to understand that this chapter is given to us. Th- this is one of the most loving things you could ever possibly yeah. read. Yeah, amen. Like If you're a non-believer, to read this and to say, to have someone honestly tell you that you should know God, you've suppressed that truth, and then you've given yourself over to evil, to worship the, the things l- l- less than you, the creation, right. rather than the creator, That is the most one of the most gracious, loving things you can do to someone, short of telling them the good news of how to be saved, right? But people believe that it's a it's a an evil to do this, right? We we've heard people not want to talk about these issues because they believe at some level it's hateful to do that. Yeah. Even if they believe it, they think it's hateful. It, that's a lie. It's a lie from the pit. Total lie.
0: Yeah, it is a loving thing to tell someone that homosexuality is not God's will for their life, that they should run from that and run towards Jesus. Yeah. So, no, that's a
1: loving thing. Or to tell someone they shouldn't murder. <laughs> that's yeah, a loving same, thing. Same. Don't, don't do that. This is just the one in focus here, but <laughs> yeah. it's amazing how certain things we've said, oh, no, we can't. Right. Uh, let's not. Let's just be, let's be nice, Right. So what, what do we see at the end here, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Right, yeah. So, And that's it's preceded by a list of different sins, right? That all of these sins deserve death. That comes from Genesis chapter 2. Mm-hmm. You disobey God, you deserve yeah. death. It doesn't even matter what the crime is. An offense against God is it an offense against an infinite being, and therefore it is infinitely heinous. All right, yeah. and it deserves an infinite punishment. All right. So this is a hard reality to come to, but this is what it says, and you can do them or you can approve of them. Either way, you deserve judgment. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're a religious person. You're thinking, "Well, no, I've uh, those people over there are bad, right? But I'm I'm good." Well, chapter two is for you, right? Because he gets into this and he says essentially. If you're the one passing judgment, you're condemning yourself, mm-hmm. because in some way, shape, or form, you are committing the same sins. Hmm. So, verse three says, "Do you suppose, oh, oh, man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, hmm. that you will escape the judgment of God?" Um, and so, the answer, of course, is a resounding no. Right? It says, "Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you right. to repentance?" Yep. But because of your hardened, and impetuous, and heart, you were storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Hmm. So, if you look at this and you say, "Oh man, well, I'm, I haven't committed those three or four sins, therefore I'm good," no, that you're guilty in some form of disobeying God's law. Yeah, and so that's always reflecting back on you. So he, he asks you, right? How do you how do you measure up? How do, how do you measure up to? God's law mm-hmm. and he goes into this he proceeds to go into a kind of a long section about guilt that both Jew and Gentile are guilty and yeah. it doesn't matter if you have the law if you don't follow it perfectly right yeah, you, you can know, say oh easy. we have the law we're so much better well no you have more responsibility now that you know God's will and you don't follow it
0: yeah one of my favorite aspects of Romans is that how Paul like so you know masterfully speaks to both the legalists and the antinomians you right he, people yeah. who you know, looking at their own righteousness and think they're perfect when they're not, or people who think, you know, they can lean on God's grace and, you know, be cleansed and still, like, indulge in sin. Like, he both sides. Yeah. So people who are being, you know, horrible to people around him and judgmental or people who are being carefree about sin, you know? Yeah. I love it. Exactly, it it, yeah. It, it's clear. It's super clear for
1: us. Yeah, so you who are leaders and teachers, right? Verse 21, you <clears throat> who teach others, do you teach yourself? <clears throat> While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Yeah. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Mm. This, I mean, he's bringing the heat here, right? So he's, he's saying just because you have the law doesn't make you more righteous. Right. You have to actually obey from the heart fully, right. not just in some ways, but in all ways. And you are now guilty. And in fact, you're blaspheming God. Mm-hmm. So this is heavy, and it almost sounds like he's saying that there's no benefit in being Jewish. And so he wants to correct that. Right, And so he points out several times, no, there is benefit in being Jewish by, because you've received God's word, right? you've received the covenants, so of course there's benefit. Mm-hmm. But the main point from all of this is Jew and Gentile are both guilty right. and fall <laughs> short of God's righteousness. So chapter 3 just really puts the last nail in the coffin if you thought there was some way out of this, right? <laughs> so he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. And what he's talking about there again is better off in terms of being, being able to escape God's wrath. Mm-hmm. For we have already charged that all, both the Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on this just tirade. It's a, it's a patchwork of different Psalms right. condemning them for different things. But just even that, those first words, no one is righteous. Mm-hmm. No, not one. no, not one. I mean, that's comprehensive. It's meant to be comprehensive. No one has the righteousness of God.
0: Yeah, no one has the ability to receive faith. Right?
1: Yeah, and this is our fundamental problem. So how is it going to be fixed? Well, he says... Um, he says in verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So this mm-hmm. is going to start to transfer to our next topic. But the idea here is there's no way to get out of this by doing good works. Mm-hmm. All the law is able to do is to increase our, our knowledge of our own sin, um, increase that conviction, and point us to our need for a cure. So verse 20 is really the point of all of this. Yeah. Don't trust in your own works mm-hmm. to justify you before God. Yeah. But we have some hope. We're, gonna, we're not going to finish chapter <laughs> 4, but we'll, we'll finish chapter 3. Uh, and what we see here is uh, that God's righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. Mm-hmm. So, so God's given us a way that we can receive righteousness apart from following the law. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what's been established previously. Everyone right. sinned. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Preach. So Christ pays the price for our sins, and we are going to receive His righteousness. Mm. This is key to the entire argument of of uh, Romans. Again, that we're justified. Think of it as righteousified, <laughs> because it is the same word. The right. same word. We are made righteous by grace as a gift through mm. jesus christ yeah, amen and then in verse 28 he makes it really explicit for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law yep. so you're made righteous by faith by trusting in what jesus has done and that is explicitly apart from works of the law mm-hmm. so, so your works your effort plays no part in making that a reality right. in, in gaining access to that righteousness or it, in any sense, it's all faith, which, again, is a ceasing of action. It's a trusting in God to do what you can't do. Yeah, It's leaning on him.
0: And praise God for that, for all falling short, right? And, yeah. And no one is perfect. Yeah. So, Amen. So. Awesome. Well, dwell on that good news gospel message uh, that we can made, be made clean through Jesus. And we'll see
1: you next week for the next part of Romans.